Today is August 27, 2023. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Oki, Naganago, Mekoche, Chestakom, Aki, or Dekots Nagotini, Siku. Hi, my name is Red Thunder Woman. My married English name is Michelle Robinson, and I use she and her pronouns. I honor the Blackfoot as the elders and member have been so kind to me on my Red Road journey. Elder Red Crane taught me how to pronounce my spirit name in Blackfoot, and Leonard Kenny taught me how to pronounce my spirit name in Satu Dene. My humblest apologies to the Blackfoot and Dene elders and language keepers as I try to learn proper pronunciation. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Great Bear Lake tribe in Treaty 11. My people wore rabbit skin, so it's been referred to as the land of the hair people. I'm a native to Turtle Island, and my Dene nation is a visitor to this area of Quinchotine Indehe in Satu Dene, meaning many big dog town, named after the Calgary Stampede. I was born in Calgary, or in Blackfoot, Mokinstis, as Michelle Elliott, an English name which has afforded me privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene, or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act imposed status card by the Canadian government says Yellowknives Dene. Through my father, I'm a daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution, while having a Canadian Indian Act imposed status card, which is a legal construct by Canadian policies meant to divide Indigenous peoples' inherent rights. Uh, Indigenous Two-Spirit or the Indigenous 2SLGBTQ2 community, excuse me, plus, um, and Indigenous women are at the bottom of the Canadian socio-economic ladder because of colonial trauma, imposed poverty, racism, gendered violence, and land theft. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous people. I just share my journey. As a Denny woman who has attempted to run, joined harmful colonial parties, spent money to be at expensive conventions, left my home to travel to those conventions just to vote on incomplete policies that still allow for incarceration and denial of justice, denial of health services, racism, colonial trauma, and genocide of Indigenous and Black peoples. I have worked to continue reports to advocate for and attempt to work within these systems meant to harm me and my community. I think of all of this today, and I hope that we honour the many Indigenous lives lost for this so-called country called Canada. I hope you can see your role in the importance of stopping harm, and as a citizen, see your role in reconciliation and as a treaty partner. Pride Month should never just be one month. It is as important to understand the straight agenda and gendered violence was and is forced on these lands by Christian outsiders. Land acknowledgements are critical for creating a safer space for Indigenous as well as honouring the host as a guest and acknowledging your role as a treaty partner in a so-called time of reconciliation. It's important that land acknowledgements have meaning. I encourage everyone to introduce themselves with their acknowledgement of their ancestors, stories of displacement, how you perceive your role as a treaty partner, a citizen of Canada, a refugee, or other land displacement so we as Indigenous people know how safe you are to be around. If you do not know how to pronounce your local Indigenous nations' names, won't pronounce your pronouns, won't say your story of origin, won't acknowledge stolen lands, imposed economic oppression, or your role in reconciliation, I determine how safe you are to be around my community, my family, and myself. Understanding land acknowledgements and their importance is Indigenous 101 because it immediately addresses colonialism, oppression dynamics, broken treaties, and lies taught today in schools nationally. That's why settlers and those who call themselves native Calgarians or Edmontonians or whatever town you're from show me you have no Indigenous 101 understanding. I also recommend Jesse Winty's book Unreconciled as it explains it perfectly as, as do many other Indigenous authored books. Land Back is a movement that would save the planet from climate change created by colonialism and capitalism, but it would also be a part of the treaty partnership, meaningful reconciliation, and honoring global initiatives like the UN Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People. I'm speaking to you on the lands of the Nitsitapi, which is the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Blackfoot south of the imposed U.S.-Canadian border, and the Blackfeet uh, north of the border are the Siksika, Gainai, and Bagani of the Confederacy. These lands are Treaty 7, signed in 1877, with signatures now also the Blackfoot Confederacy, but the Good Stony, Chiniki, and Bearspaw Nations of the Stony Nations, and the Dene from Sutina. I acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, Inuit, status and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. All non-Indigenous are treaty partners with the government signing on your behalf. 
My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. Thank you, previous donors, for showing your support. If you value listening, you learn something, and you can afford to give, thank you. If you cannot afford to give, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com, where you can send in your comments or questions. Also, giving a review helps whatever medium you're listening from. I have a YouTube channel that you can go and subscribe. Go to nativecalgarian.com for the latest podcasts and pin posts on social media. And with that, I'm super excited to invite my friend to introduce herself in her way. Thank you for coming. Thank you for having me. Um, my name is Christina Tobias. I was born and raised in the Red Deer area, um, but my family is my family on my father's side is from the Lenape Nation. They are in Moravian Town, Southern Ontario, um, and then my mom is. Um, as Caucasian as Caucasian can be. <laughs> <laughs> like my dad. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yep. Um, I love them both dearly, um, but have very clearly clear ba different backgrounds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's uh, one of those things that, you know, we're sitting here all tanned as we do indigenously <laughs> at the end of August. Yeah. And, um, you know, there are just things my dad will never understand. He just, not because he doesn't love me. Yeah. Not because he doesn't want to. It's just that he'll never experience those things. It also has a lot to do with the fact he's a man and I'm a woman. So yes. there's that too. But. Yeah. <laughs> no, and those are some things that, um, same with my mom. Yep. You know, we, we she's a woman. I'm a woman. So there was a lot that I learned from her. But also there was a lot of things that I never shared with her because she could, I don't think she could fully understand it. Um especially being a boomer. <laughs> I know. So, yeah. you know, I love her. Like I said, I love her dearly um, and can't fault her for anything. Um, but being a boomer and being Caucasian is a privilege that yeah. she doesn't quite understand even. Yeah, I, I get it. You know, um, a lot of the black authors, especially, uh, I have a lot of their books. The White Fragility book, I know a lot of black people are mad that that was published, but I had found it so liberating to finally put to words mm -hmm. my experience of life. Like, why is it at 45 I'm just unpacking racism? You know, I, I feel really glad that I'm helping my daughter understand racism from the start, that, from the very, very start, because uh, I don't want her to experience life so gaslit. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it's funny too because you say you're at 45, you're just unpacking it. I'm 35, and there's some things I look back, I'm like, oh, that was racist as heck. Yeah. Like, holy yeah. man, that I didn't even recognize it mm -hmm. of like the racism that was there until I'm now, like my age now, and I'm like, wow, okay. Like, yeah. there's a lot of stuff that was blatant racism. Yeah. And then stuff that was, you know, blindsided racism that you, you know, like secret racism quiet racism yeah yeah so-called microaggressions yes yeah, yeah I know it's um so what happened when I was 30 actually my daughter was born and I experienced inst institutional systemic racism mm. at the hospital and I was like white I thought white passing I spoke white I'm like why would you do this but then it, later I realized that when you're status native they just red flag you at the hospital because you're um, you're you're under federal jurisdiction, not provincial. Right. And I was like, well, so that's what all of this is about. It was that I didn't even have a chance walking in the door, and uh, so that that changed the trajectory of my life. And um, you know, I obviously I was most focused on the absolute postpartum depression I had, not to mention the fact that I I was really I couldn't explain it to my family, like mm -hmm. what was happening to me. And um, so, yeah, like really I started my anti-racism journey at the age of 30, but it wasn't until I was like finding solutions beyond the TRC calls to action, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Like I, I think that as all, and I talk about, um, you know, internalized racism. If we are not working on that, we are absolutely doing ourselves a disservice for the projection of our life like honestly absolutely so like to me that I'm trying to uh, teach my daughter those skills now because it 
obviously the rest of her life she's going to be facing racism like every other mm-hmm. BIPOC person. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, um, I want to give her those tools because yeah. we have to do not just self-care. Self-care looks differently for us because we have to fight systemic racism every day. Absolutely. Yeah. And at 15, I wish I had somebody that was, you know, teaching me those things because yeah. at 15, I had a mom that was, she was born a ginger, so she has very fair skin, blue eyes, um, light hair, and a younger brother that um, we share the same parents, blue eyes, olive skin, sandy brown hair, and then there's me, dark hair, brown eyes, you know, I tan quite easily. You always look 100% have. to me. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm, oh, sorry, I kicked the puppy. Oh, don't be. <laughs> He's just like there to make sure you're there. Perfect. Yeah. Uh, my support dog. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so like I, I didn't have that person that to teach me like that it's, it's good to be Native. It's, it's okay to be Native. Like, you know, it's beyond that. So, yeah. You know, I think we need a lot more of that for our young people Mm -hmm. and our young Native generation that's coming. You know, we have a choice right now. We can get closer to our culture or we can pull away from our culture. And it's scary to pull away. Yeah. Like, you feel it. Yeah. And there was a long time where I denied my culture and was like, no, I'm white, right? Like, I could totally pass for white. Totally. I know. I totally thought I could, too. Like, (laughs) I don't know what delusion you and I are living under, but right? Right? Yeah. And I actually, I have another friend, I love her to pieces, and she was a foster child, and she thought the same thing, like, visibly Native, but just, she didn't identify it, she didn't see herself that way. And, like, while the rest of the world treats us so poorly and, and that... We just don't understand what it is, right? Yeah. So, And the rest of the world treats us so poorly for what we look like or what we represent. So then we treat ourselves so poorly yes. for what we look like and for what we represent instead of embracing it. Yes. Which is, I think, where we get to a point when we get older, you know, like in my teens, I, I denied it. You know, people were racist towards me, like lots of terrible name calling and like taunting and it was just bad and then you know in my 20s is where I like start to like dabble a bit you know like what is this what is that and you're trying to figure yourself out but now in your 30s which I am it's a place of where I feel like I can embrace it more Mm. and am I allowed to swear yep no fucks given no fucks given oh my (laughs) god you know what? I was gifted this in okay. case you run out of fox. I will never run out of fox for, for, for that. You know, like, that's great. Isn't that great? Yeah. So I love it. For my listeners, wait, I have this little jar, and, and I'll do a, I promise I'll do a TikTok immediately after this to show it's a jar full of fox in case I ever run out of fox again. <laughs> Great. I love it. Yeah, I might take cute. a few to put in my back pocket. Absolutely. Hand them out. Yeah. <laughs> this is the fuck that I can give you. Yeah, totally. <laughs> right? um, but yeah, so it's, it's, it's hard to be able to learn to embrace something that you were never taught. Yeah. And what you were taught about it was it's bad. It's wrong. And don't do that. Or like keep it hush hush. Keep it quiet. Yeah. Um, but now, and I don't know if I'm like jumping ahead on uh, this conversation, but now being 35 and recognizing, you know, how much time I've wasted. Right. But in, in not embracing it, but getting to now be yes. able to embrace it and be like, that's such a beautiful culture that I get to be part of and, you know, have part of me mm-hmm. makes me like scared and nervous, but also really excited Yeah. for like... For myself, but then also for the next generation, because it's it's not a lost opportunity anymore. No, the opposite. I think that like my daughter, she didn't grow up in the in the racism I did, right? Mm-hmm. Like very different reality, and we actually really protected her from family members that were extremely racist people. Yeah, and we still have to, frankly, right? Uh, we have to protect her. So um, the thing about going down this anti-racism journey is that I have found it lonely in the sense that people I thought I could be lifelong friends with or, you know, even family. I've had mm-hmm. to let them go because, yeah. 
if you, you're not going to unpack the racism, you can't be in our world because you're not safe to be around. No. And then, no, um, conversely, I've gained amazing friends, honestly, because yeah. they understand. So I know they're safe in my backyard. I know my daughter can come and go as they please to do whatever it is that they want to do if we're having a sacred fire or such, because that those are the people we need in our life. Absolutely. Yeah. I can relate on so many levels with that. Um, my oldest brother, uh, we share the same mom, different dads. Um, he is very white presenting and very white acting. Mm. Um, I don't see him mm. because of his blatant racism. And for me, that's okay. You know, he's, I, I've come from a place of hurt people, hurt people. Yep. He is a hurt soul. Yeah. And, you know, I can love him from afar and, you know, hope that he can find what brings him happiness. Mm -hmm. But that does not mean he gets to come in close to me around the people that love me and the people that embrace me yeah. and the people that I embrace as well. Like you said, like I have to protect what's mine to protect. Yeah. And, you know, if you can't be there to love me and embrace me, then no fucks for you. <laughs> no, fucks, no fucks given. No fucks There's given. There's somebody new. Like, yeah. I, I have a new chosen family to, exactly. to have in my world. And that was a hard lesson to learn, too, is, like, your family doesn't mean their blood, yeah. right? Family can be who you want it to be. Yes. And for me, that was really hard to let go of certain people. Yeah. But then also <laughs> let go of maybe who I thought family was yeah, and maybe let go of a little bit of who I was too. Yeah. Um, because I had a lot of blocks with that through my own personal experience of, you know, pushing out family that, um, were important, but I didn't recognize just how important until I'm in my thirties. And then you're like, Oh, right. Yeah. Thirties are a game changer. Aren't they? <laughs> they are. Yeah, no, I, I'm glad I was able to wait until 30 to have my daughter because I I just know I was a better parent mm -hmm. because I, I was a more mature person, you know, as opposed to my 20s. Like, oh, man, I had to unlearn. Yeah. I had to unlearn homophobia, uh, anti-Semitism. I had to learn, unlearn, uh, like, everything. I had to, mm -hmm. uh, sexism has been an ongoing issue, so... In my 20s, it was when I really learned about um, that uh, feminism, right? So, and learned about the oppression of women. And I was like, this is what's happening to me. That's what I blank mm. blanketed everything under. And, um, and then when I hit my 30s and had my daughter and faced that institutional racism, I was like, it's not just the sexism. No. <laughs> nope, there's more. There's more. It's like an onion. You pull back those layers and you're like, oh, this is what it is. And then it's like, oh, nope, it's also this. Yeah. <laughs> and then, oh, there's another layer under there? Holy man. Right? Yeah. I was really lucky. My husband and I, we've been together since I was 16. And he... Um, was really giving to me in my 20s as he would just see examples from my own family he's like well no wonder you hate men well no wonder you know like and, yeah. and he, he said like I can't believe you experienced this and I can't believe my people do this like he'd laugh yeah. right and so uh, he was really a huge part of my healing in my 20s and then in my my 30s like he he can't understand fully but he does understand because he's a non-status Métis um, so we have his great-grandmother went to a boarding school in the States and I feel like his family had completely denied their reality yeah and then of course when he wanted to identify as Métis faced so much racism from the Métis and and it was like okay so this is a real deal so he's yeah. actually kind of gone back in the closet and just decided he's not going to discuss that with anyone because it's not safe for him so we live in a world, if you weren't born in Winnipeg, then you're not really Red River and you're not yeah. really Métis. And it's like, I come from uh, the Northwest Territories. And if you have any Dene lineage, they, the Yellowknife Métis call you Métis. So we're going through Indian status one more time with Sam. It was actually Murray Sinclair that said, you've got to do this S3 bill and see if it can go through. So this is our second round. Wow. And so if it goes through, then she'll be status. But if not, then she'll automatically be a status uh, Métis through Yellowknife as a descendant of Dene. So it's, um, I, I've learned from my husband 
and from what I watched happen here locally, I won't even tell people what that is and like they would have to pay me a lot of money and pay her a lot of money in order for her to discuss her Métis um, background because it's not just the systemic, it's, no. the, it's the lateral violence, it's that internalized hate that they haven't dealt with that they project on my family. And that, I don't think that's just for like Métis, it can be like native on native too. Mm -hmm. Growing up, I, totally. you know, I was growing up, I, from about five to 11, we were really immersed in the native community in Red Deer. Sure. And then, you know, I don't, I was a kid, so I don't really know what happened, but stopped engaging with the Friendship Center, you know, didn't go to dances anymore, or powwows. Um, and as a kid, you don't really think too, too much of it. But mm -hmm. now as an adult, I'm like, that's really interesting. Um, but then from 10 onward, and even sometimes to this day, I'm like, am I native enough? Right. You know, like yeah. I, I am half and half, right? Like yeah. my, my dad is native, my mom isn't. Yeah. So then, you know, introducing myself to some people, they're like, well, you're not really native. Yeah. Or then I have to explain it and justify how I am native. Right. And that, you know, and, and yes, at one point I didn't embrace it, but that's my journey. That's not for somebody else to tell me I'm not native enough. That's something for me to work through. Right. Not for somebody else. So, you know, I think there's a lot of work that we all need to do with that piece of it. Yes. And, but I also understand how we're really protective of that. Um, because in my experience, I've actually just come across a pretendian. And like that was really hurtful it and is. painful. Yeah. And the people surrounding that, like I won't go too deep into that, but the people surrounding it, um, people of power made the right choice because if they didn't, I would have been out super quick and be like, you have so much more to lose yeah. and allowing this person to stay. Um, so I understand where we become protective of the identity of being native or indigenous. Yes. But we need to be welcoming for those people that, you know, are that reclaiming. Are reclaiming. Thank you. Such yep. a good word that are yep. reclaiming their identity. Yeah. You know, it's not, I can't help what happened to me, but I can choose what I do next. Yep. And my choice is to reclaim. That's such a good word. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Well, actually, let's thank Dr. Linda Many Guns because. <laughs> She uses that word around me quite a bit. And well, that's not true. It's also in the national inquiry, reclaiming power in place. So, yeah. you know, that's just a, a really strong word in my my life right now yeah. because it, it just means so much. And yeah, I think reclaiming who we are is the most powerful act we can do against mm -hmm. colonialism. Absolutely. And frankly, for non-Indigenous, if they would reclaim what their ancestors did and the privilege that they benefit from that imagine how different this world could be that would be the real anti-racism work that needs to get done in this country mm -hmm. but we just do performative things instead. oh performative yeah. It, yeah. that just drives me up the wall yeah you know but that's how those pretend indians get away with the things they do because you know, at the end of the day, they need some token to say, oh, I put the, the spirit of the buffalo in you <laughs> and uh, you are surrounded by love. And it's like, you know, yeah, I could say those things if you pay me, but that's not who I am. That's no. not authentically no. me. And I like I've been told by my elders to if you are asked to do a prayer, you do it. So I've been getting more and more comfortable doing that. But it's not. <laughs> it's not to, I don't know, make some white person feel good. And that's what ultimately a lot of people want. And I, I just can't do that. I, no. I have to be honest. I think that's where we all have to be honest, right? Yeah. Like we can't just doing it for the sake of doing it isn't actually helping the problem. It's making the problem worse. Yes. And, and I, really putting us in a stereotype. Yes. Yeah. 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 It, and that's the worst part. And, you know, like these land acknowledgements too, mm -hmm. they're really, I think, a great thing, but also sometimes can be just a check mark. Yeah. You know, my old position, um, and I don't want to say names because of course fairly big in Calgary, so I'm sure. not going to say anything, sure. but they would read um, the land acknowledgement straight from a card. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, but you're, it, 
it's not meaning anything nope. right now. And like, I, can I do it? I offered one day, I was like, can I do it? And they're yeah. like, well, no, like we have to do it. I'm like, um, and they're like, we have to do it in order not to be offensive. And I was like, but as an indigenous person and the only indigenous person in this room, yeah. I'm offended. Yeah. <laughs> like, just let me read it. Like I, or at least let me like explain to you yeah. the reason behind it because yeah. it was very like check marky. Yep. And I get it. You have to read it before every single meeting. And this is probably your fifth meeting of the day. Yeah. But to say, yeah, land acknowledgement, we're good. We're good. And shake your heads to all the people around and say, yeah, we're good. Isn't good. No, it's not working on the it's oppression. It's not working. No. And it's not helping. No. No. It's not. And clearly, if they feel very confident telling an Indigenous woman, the only one in the room, no, then they're not getting it they're at not. all. <laughs> and that's the problem. Yeah. And I was like, just, can I, can I help? And they're like, but it's written in a certain way so we don't offend anybody. And the pronunciations are there. I'm like, but you're still pronouncing it incorrectly. Every Calgarian. Let me help you. From these organizations, even the ones I've taught, even the ones that introduced me, I'll tell them. And it, it's insulting. I've mm -hmm. told them repeatedly, don't say Métis Region 3 because that was never negotiated with treaty, the treaty partners. And they still say it, even though I've said it. I told them, if you say that, that's offensive to the treaty partners. But it's back to that, you know, they yeah. think they're doing a good job. And it's like, no, you're not. And you're not willing to listen to me. So you're not getting your anti-racism training at all. No. None. Like you're, if you're, your voice is superseding an Indigenous person, then you're absolutely wrong. And especially one like me who has a geomatic background. Like, fuck right off. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Just fuck right off. Fuck right off, yeah. I think too, like, and this is not to defend anybody, but to, I always like to play the devil's advocate, but people are scared to do something. So they do nothing. Yeah. And I think that is more harmful than doing something. Mm. You know, um, people like, in, for instance, when I addressed it, it, was like, I can read it. I'd be more than happy to read it, even though it's not my place to read it. Mm -hmm. It is definitely the colonizing white people to places to read it. I can read it and teach you how to give it more meaning and why we're doing this. You know, and here's the thing. It upsets me that non-Indigenous people get offended at the fact we are giving them free labor, free knowledge, that if I was Romeo Dallaire, you would pay me oh. $10,000 to speak. Yeah. But I'm just another fucking Native woman, squaw in their mind, because they don't want to undo this thinking. Nope. It just they can't. pisses me off. They can't. Yeah. I feel like for me, when I watched all of that happen, I kind of like sit back and, you know, observe what's happening and going on. And for me, when I'm taking it all in, it feels like there's a hierarchy. Mm -hmm. And we're always at the bottom. Yep. And they're always like 10 steps above us. Yep. And so they don't really take us seriously. Nope. Because like, if you go all the way back, you know, we didn't uh, write our laws on paper. Our laws were written in story, an oral tradition. Yeah. Um, we, well, natural some, law. Yes, like it's natural, natural law. law. Like, I don't know why it is so difficult for non-Indigenous to wrap their head around natural law, other than they're purposely committed to being against it absolutely uh, you know, so. <laughs> and, and, but they don't take us seriously because we don't yeah. document stuff the same way that they want it documented yeah and that's what i find i'm we're always i'm always running into especially when you're in part of like those um the indigenous community committee at work or something like that right like the agency wants it all documented and they want data and they want to know how this is impacting. And that's all great. Like, I also want to know how it's impacting. I do want to see results of the work we're doing. Yeah. However, you can't force it. Yeah. You can't push it. It takes time. Change takes time. Mm -hmm. And for me, it then makes it, makes us feel even more minimized. Yep. Because we're not doing it the way that they want us to do it. A hundred percent. But the way we do it is we take our time. Yeah. We process. We we ask the creator. You know, we 
we connect with elders. Like, is this what we should be doing? What are your thoughts on this? Mm -hmm. And then it takes time for them to come back to us. Like, it's a whole yes. chain of command. Yes. <laughs> yes. That can be frustrating for outsiders that don't understand it. Mm -hmm. But then that they want it now, so they yeah. minimize us. Which is why their laws, which are unnatural, mm -hmm. don't acknowledge the next seven generations. No. And of course, the decisions made today are absolutely negatively impacting the seven generations from now, mm -hmm. if we make it that long, thanks to these shitty, uh, like, right now decisions that they need right now. Yep. And that's, like, I wish they'd get it. <laughs> they don't. They're all about, I've been saying this, it's all about reactive. Yeah. We're about being reactive to something that's happening right now. Mm -hmm. There is no forward thinking. Yeah. There is no, hey, let's pause and take a moment. Yes, we do need to respond to emergencies in a certain way, but also let's put in plans for like what's going to happen for the next seven generations. What right. does that look like? Right. And I don't think putting nuclear waste in, um, you know, concrete that will eventually fall apart is the right decision for 10 million years from now. Yeah. And you had this, like we're dumping nuclear waste into the ocean at Fukushima right now, mm -hmm. as we speak on this moment, you know, but these are the decisions that people have made. Yeah. And they don't think of the global impact of that at all, clearly. It really sucks. And the way I kind of look at it too is like, I do think there are a lot of really good people out there and it's taken me a long time to see that that there are people out there that do want the change to happen, but there's more people in power that want more power, mm -hmm. that want more control. Yeah. And that's the barrier that's standing in the way because it's all about money, it's all about control. Yeah. And you know, it's changing those people's mind, but they already have so much power yeah, that won't. It's really hard to fight those people. Yeah. And, you know, I hope that more people are reclaiming and more people are, you know, not just myself and, and native other natives reclaiming their heritage and culture, but also everybody else reclaiming their own part in the treaties. And, like, what does that look like? And maybe we can start trudging and breaking down, you know, those people that have all that power. Right. Because that's, I think, the only way that we're going to be able to do it. I, I believe that wholeheartedly. But I do believe at this point it is willful. Yes. Because our ancestors have been talking about these uh, solutions. You know, yeah. they've been written in colonial documents in 1996 with the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples. Mm -hmm. You know, at this point it is pretty willful for non-Indigenous people to not get it, to yeah. not get their role in racism, to not get their role in settler oppression, and to not get their role in the solutions that we've handcrafted and given to them on yeah. a silver plate. And uh, so it, at this point, I am starting to just kind of be like, you know, if I can do this work, if I was this far on the spectrum of white supremacy, and I, <laughs> with all of the, you know, looking after a child and trying to pay your bills and trying to make a living and trying mm -hmm. to be a good person, if I can unlearn all of that stuff, so can other people. Mm -hmm. It's... <laughs> but you know what? Change is uncomfortable. Yeah. People want to stay just the way they are <laughs> and not push against the current. They just want to coast along. And I get it. Life is hard. Yeah. But... <sighs> It's only going to get harder if we don't do something now. Right. And right. Like, what kind of future do you want right? for your kids? Exactly. Like, exactly. I, I just don't understand that mm -hmm. selfishness, that thinking, well, I'm the last one, so it's okay that I... And no. 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 Like, if, if I had did not have a child, like, I, there are other children, like a niece. I have other people yeah. in my life that I care about them. I have friends that have kids. Right. And, like, multiple... All my friends have kids. Yeah. So, I, it's hard for me to imagine that thinking that it's like, you know, I, I, I don't need to make a decision that's going to impact people. I remember, I'm, so I'm actually 46, I remember when we first brought in plastic bags and there was no way they were decomposing and I was like, why are we doing this? Yeah. And I questioned it then and it was like, well, it'll make some good jobs and it's like, okay, jobs today, 
But, and, and no. you never get that answer because, you know, I'm just a kid. Yeah. Nobody gives a shit about what I got a question. What do right? you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's like, okay. And I remember in grade 10 being mad at compound interest. I'm like, who benefits from compound interest? This is a scam. <laughs> and my, my math teacher was looking at me like, no, 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 no. It's just, and I'm like, no, I get the concept. <laughs> I understand. I'm getting the concept, but that's wrong. This is like morally and ethically wrong. <laughs> and it's like, I, I, I wish everybody did that in grade 10. Maybe we wouldn't even be in this position. Right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I, I honestly wish we just learned a whole lot more about life yeah. in school as opposed to like, you know, calculus. I'm not going to use calculus. <laughs> I'm not using it. I have a phone. It has a calculator. I'm good. <laughs> I loved math. I was that nerd. And that's okay. Yeah. And then that's you. why I went into geomatics because it was just constant. That's all you worked with. So yeah. I loved it. And um, ironically, if I had like unlimited funds and that when I was 18, I probably would have become an engineer and just continued doing what I was doing. I just never, I, I had to work nights. Um mm. At, at SATE and work a full-time job during the day in order to get some education yeah. enough to start doing drafting. So, yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> back in 1994, when I graduated high school, we didn't have, like, uh, you know, internet and accessible Fair. internet. And mm -hmm. my guidance counselor had no idea what Indian status meant. And I just assumed you show up at UFC, say on status, and they go, oh, okay, perfect. Oh. This is when you start your classes. No, it didn't work that way. No, a whole different process. Yeah. Which I'm grateful that that funding is there for me to go to school. Yeah. For sure. Um, but yeah, different process. Yeah, no, I had no idea. So I never ended up going. Oh. No, never did. Well, it's never too late. Well, I, I have a kid. It's different now, right? So Fair. yeah, it's a, it's a different world. And it, it's so funny because if I was white... Me being a stay-at-home mom is totally socially acceptable in Calgary, mm -hmm. Alberta. In fact, I was raised that way. And it was assumed that's what I would do. Only they thought I'd have a kid at 20, not 30. <laughs> <laughs> or even younger in yeah. some cases. Right, right. So, you know, and it's funny that double standard that when you're white, you know, you're expected to be a super uh, mom. You're expected to you know, stay at home, do all the things yeah. and schedule your life. And, and I, I was totally happy doing that, unknowingly um, breaking all this intergenerational trauma. Like this cycle has been broken in so many ways because I didn't have to go to Indian residential school. Yeah. I didn't have to be Catholic unlike all of the other generations. You know, I, I didn't have to, I, I could stay at home and raise my kid as I'm the first one to do that in mine. So like... That's a lot of intergenerational trauma being um, That's amazing. Broken. Yeah. That is amazing. Yeah. Um, in school, we learned intergenerational trauma takes 10 generations to undo mm -hmm. because it runs so, so deep. And our languages are at risk. Oh, I don't my goodness. know if we're yeah. going to be able to, in my lineage, be able to reclaim our language in my lifetime. And I have white people say, well, why don't you? And I'm like, why don't you fucking learn German tomorrow and yeah, get back to me? Right? Are, are you German? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, then how come you don't know your language? Oh, you mean it takes time, money, and effort? Oh, weird. Now, amazing how that happens. Yep. You know, so like the conversations we have are so like not in the realm and also show me how little people understand what happened. Well, so. and that's just it too, right? Like my mom... Um, she called me other, the other day, a couple months ago, actually, and she's like, um, did you know about the 60s scoop? <laughs> Mother! <laughs> I know! And I was like, Mom, I yes. told you about it, I, actually. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I held in my laughter because I'm like, okay, if I laugh at her, that's going to make her feel shame. Right. And then she's not going to want to listen. So I was totally. like, okay. Yes, mom. Yep. I know about the 60 scoop. Tell me what you learned. Tell, exactly. Yeah. And she's like, I actually am very concerned about one of my <laughs> friends that I knew. And I was like, okay. And that goes to show like how little people know yes. and how little people want to know. So then yeah. partly I'm like, okay, well then I can't be too mad that you don't know to do better because you don't know anything. Yeah. But then I'm like, okay, but now you know. So get off your high horse, yes. come down and learn yes. because how were you 
part of the problem. Uh, yeah. yeah. Like how are how are you so part of the problem? But then I'm like, this all makes sense. This is why I didn't feel safe going to you. I like again, I love my mom, but this is why I didn't feel safe going to her yeah. when kids were being racist to me. Yeah. When they were calling me all these sorts of names and then fighting me. Yeah. Like just a young girl chasing down the white boys on the street, but then be called savage for doing it. Yeah. Like after they punched after you they've or whatever. Done, after they've driven you. me to that point. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I'm like, I took that opportunity to listen yeah. to what she learned. Yeah. And then I was like, okay, here you go. This is where we're starting. Yes. Right. Yeah. But even my mom yeah. of a very proud, now proud native woman mm. had no idea about the history of Canada yeah. and what has happened yeah. to the native people here, yeah. which is really sad. But I have, said, well, now I'm kind of nervous too, because I'm slowly working her in to not to scare her from it, but also to be like, come join, like listen to what is actually happening. Yeah. So I'm like, here's this po lovely podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe she'll hear this. Yeah, now I'm like, oh, geez, yeah. now you're going to hear my episode. <laughs> yeah. But you know that that is great. Because yeah. like from my point of view, like they have to learn somewhere. Mm -hmm. And like my dad, actually, he's trying in some ways. Like, would I like him to try better? Absolutely. Yes. But he is who he is. So. And that's just it. Yeah. So he'll go somewhere and find me a book and bring it to me. So, um, you know, because he obviously is where I get my love of books is from him. Mm -hmm. And uh, anyway, that's another story for another day. <laughs> but he, he would always surround me with books and encourage me to read. And, and uh, anyway, I love reading as a result. And I read everything I can. He would find me. Ethan Hawke wrote a book about <laughs> natives. Like, like, like he finds these really obscure things that I would never buy. And then, but I'll read through it because he bought yeah. it for me. And then I'll kind of explain to him, you know, when non-natives try to, you know, write about us, sometimes it's a little different and so, yeah. little, and it's wrong even. But I said, but you know, he's also an artist. So I went through it and like, I want to honor the book regardless. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's, I, I like what you're saying there about when non-natives write about us and how, you know, that's how history books were made. Yep. And there was a language barrier yeah. from that. And, and a lack of and, understanding yeah. of natural law again. Yeah. 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 And so I just find how funny it is that history is so wrong. Yeah. In some ways. Yeah. I don't well, the story of Pocahontas yeah. is one of those that really, like, I just hate, almost hate the term now because it's like, ugh, and you shouldn't feel that way. It's just that what her story is so horrible, mm -hmm. and yet Disney made it such a, you know, Disney movie. Yes. And uh, it's insulting. I, and I really do think that we need a Native director yes. doing the real story of Pocahontas, no holds barred, yeah. like, like Mel Gibson's passion, you yeah. know, like no holds barred. I think it's time that um, settlers really seen what they've done to us. I would love a live action Pocahontas. Right? Yes. I like but oh. to be honest, when I was little, that movie came out probably when I was seven or eight. Oh. And I was like, oh my God. Yeah. Representation. She looks like me. Yeah. She's native. Yeah. I'm like super pumped and excited for it yeah. and like really identified as, with it. Sure. Because I was seven. Like I didn't know much of a difference of it. I didn't understand, sure. you know, the the lies that it really was all i knew was that somebody like me was a princess yeah um and you know like that that for me meant a lot mm -hmm. but then as i got older i'm like oh shit like yeah. <laughs> all right it's cool yeah but not cool at all i know i know um i try to explain to my daughter you have no concept how lucky you are to have native representation <sighs> I remember going to, uh, there was this Marvel comic I want, or Marvel movie, and it had Slipknot, which was played by Adam Beach, the hottest actor in the planet as far as I'm <laughs> concerned, because I've never met him, and if I ever did, it would be embarrassing. Oh, no. So anyway, if he, um, he, he was in it, and he, there was all this like hype, and I was so excited, and spoiler alert for folks who are listening, he dies immediately. Like He's oh. on screen for like two seconds. My heart sank. 
Because I literally bought this stupid ticket to see him. Yeah. And, they, and he was killed off immediately. And, uh, and I was heartbroken because I was like, we get such little representation. Mm -hmm. And when we do, they're not actually Indigenous sometimes. Even. Right? right? They're Italian. Like Twilight did that I know. with Taylor Lautner. Right. He's not even Native. But the other guys that were there, they were Native. So like, well, yeah. no, that's the one off. Yeah. Like, no, like... I'm sure there is a buff teenager indigenous boy Millions that could them. have been totally you know yeah. in that movie but I think of um, one of my proudest moments and I'll say it not just because I'm on Blackfoot territory and I know him and I love him but um, when uh, Jean Brave Rock was on Wonder Woman mm. Okay, now I'm getting upset <laughs> that was like the first time we seen positive representation mm -hmm. and then he he like dropped a truth bomb and they kept it in the movie <laughs> and that was even better i'm like no! <laughs> so, and, and i remember in i think it was 2015 when uh cbc or not cbc uh gemini awards it's the it's the big Canadian attempt at music awards. Oh, I know what you're talking about, but don't they know. They did it's a called. full indigenous entry, like full indigenous uh, start. And I like I can't watch that without crying too. <laughs> <laughs> I know it. There's yeah. just something about yeah. it where you you hear the drumming or you hear yeah. something and it just pulls you in. And it was mainstream media. Yeah. Like I couldn't believe we're getting yes. positive representation. Yeah. So, yeah. And I, I guess like that's a huge impetus as to why we have the podcast because like we just never have our voice at the table. No. And when we do, <laughs> it's always, and I, my, one of my coworkers said this once, I was like, I love that word, but like trauma porn. Yeah. It's yeah. always trauma porn about how, oh, woe is us, and, like, this happened, and, like, we're all dying, and there's never, like, it's not just that, like... Yeah, we're bigger than that, We're so sure. much bigger than that. Yeah. We're, like, we're dancers, we're musicians, yeah. we're comedians, like, come yeah. on, throw yeah. us together, and our humor just will We're the funniest, <laughs> actually. Right? And we laugh at the stupidest shit, but then it makes it better, the moment. Absolutely. You know, like, worth living, even. Exactly. Yeah. So I, um, I, I really wish that non-natives got to see that, but I know that there's a benefit to that, that trauma porn. Absolutely. And like a lot of people say, if it's not dancing, drums, or death, those are the three Ds of our media representation. And it's like, uh, that's the worst. Yeah. Even like uh, my last episode with um, talking about Nathan Dodging Horse, like we're in a, for the first time I feel, the very first time in 150 years where police are, okay, there, I guess there's enough evidence. We better at least <laughs> put in and make a report for the yeah. first time. So it's like trying to encourage other Indigenous people who have been victimized by this mofo, like this needs yeah. to happen now. It's also a bigger picture of I really think these people who pretend to be elders and do major major harm to mm -hmm. our, our our women especially our two-spirit they need it's to sucking in the vulnerable yep and they need to be held accountable absolutely yeah. i also think the person that hurt them needs to be held accountable too like yes sometimes this is learned behavior yep somebody has hurt you do you need a hug like yeah. i would rather give you a hug right right like you can't go around hurting people like that. I no. think they need to be held accountable for sure. Mm -hmm. But also who hurt you? Yeah. Let's talk about that. Right. Let's let's talk about your trauma and your pain and pull that apart so you can stop the cycle. Yeah. And I think that is what we're all trying to do is stopping the cycle like you're doing with your daughter. Yeah. You know, you broke that cycle and that's a beautiful thing. And not every Indigenous woman can say that they broke that cycle. Yeah. You know, I'm breaking or trying to break that cycle with my own family. Yeah. Um, my dad and younger brother, alcoholism is a thing. Mm -hmm. And it's torn our family apart, sure. you know, but I'm breaking that cycle by recognizing that in my own self. Yeah. You know, like, that's not going to happen. That's not going to be me. Yeah. Um, but I get to reclaim it in a different way. But, you know, that's, so I'm a facilitator for Mending Broken Hearts. And we know in all the well-briety is that we are looking for culture. 
Mm-hmm. Culture mm-hmm. is prevention. Yes. So back to the original conversation we had about those tools we need to combat racism, mm-hmm. to be anti-racist. Those are the tools that we need yes. in order to really live a life. Yes. That is the culture is prevention. You can't deny who you are anymore no. like we tried. But it's so <laughs> painful. It yes. is so painful to give in to that. Yep. It's so painful to say, I don't know anything about my culture, yep. you know, but then also we have um, some reserves where they're like, we're dry, you're out, like you have to go. Yep. And if you make it through this overdose, perfect, but you're going to be shipped out of off our land, yep. you know, but what they're actually asking for is to have connection. Yeah. They're searching for connection. Yeah. They, you know, I think that is one of the most painful things yeah. is, and not knowing where to go with that. Yeah. So what do you go to? Yeah. Alcohol, drugs, you know, because that's easy. That's easy connection. Yep. But it's not easy to maintain because it will destroy you. Oh. And I've seen it. Right. But those people that are out there, they're lost and lonely and sad and in pain. Yes. And that is only something that I've come to understand yeah. recently in being 35 um, you know, I can understand that now with people in my own family, yeah. right? It's, it's the pain and I have more compassion and understanding towards it. Where when I was in my twenties, I was angry, Same. you know, twenties, yeah. I didn't understand it. You know, why are you choosing that over us? You know, all of those things. But now I understand the loss of culture yeah. and how painful it is to say, yeah. I don't know anything about my culture. Help me understand. Help, yeah. help me. Um, I was given a free ticket to see Jeremy Dutcher. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I thought, oh, native musician. I can't wait. Sure. He's classically trained. Love orchestration. This will be great. Go up, show up. And then he starts. And for folks who have never been or seen his work, he takes like a 200-year-old recording and he plays it of our people singing and drumming. And you're hit with all of the lost language mm. in that second. Like I was anyway. Yeah. And I bawled uh-huh. for the next two hours, realizing how much I was mourning a language. And I didn't even know I needed to mourn it. I yeah. wasn't even there yet. Yeah. <laughs> right? Until somebody gave me this free ticket. So um, the thing of is, like, when you talk about that loss, like, I'm constantly unpacking that mourning. Mm-hmm. Constantly. Because every so often you get hit with something and it's like, man, I had no idea. I had no idea that this 200-year-old song would have been lost. And now Jeremy Dutcher is bringing it to life and sharing it across Canada and reminding all of us who Mm -hmm. have lost our language, you've lost something way bigger than you understand. That feeling hits me every single time I hear drums. Sure. Or singing. And sure. I'm like, oh, hold it together. Don't cry. Don't cry. <laughs> Don't cry. And it used to be like smudge or anything or sweet grass when you smell it. I'm like, yeah. it just brings me back to my childhood. And I'm like, oh. Yeah. And like all the gap in between being 10 and, you know, 30-ish where I started to re-embrace it. Yeah. Like that's a long time to disengage from something and yeah. to deny it. So that now when I hear drumming or singing or smell the smudge, I'm like, don't cry. Hold it together. Like, it's okay. But that is what I'm feeling is such a huge loss. But then also opportunity to embrace. And that, so it's a mix of like loss and happiness all together. Yeah, I know. It's a lot. Mm -hmm. And I'm really grateful that you were able to articulate all this. (sighs) I hope that you feel welcome coming back on my podcast anytime. Is there anything else you'd like to kind of to say today? Um, I don't think so. Just thank you for having me. Hopefully you got something out of this. <laughs> oh, gosh. You know what I think? I honestly think, because one of my biggest pet peeves about diversity, equity, and inclusion training is that it's always done with the colonial settler belief system. Yes. And what until they're decolonizing, like it will always be settler colonial mm-hmm. DEI. And I, I hate it. So from my point of view, all of those folks who do this training, 
need to understand an indigenous perspective. Yeah. So I think you did us all a great service by, you know, explaining it from an indigenous point of view because even though I try, sometimes hearing it from somebody else said just slightly different is the final click Absolutely. that some people get. So I think I get that. Honestly, every organization in Calgary should <laughs> literally be listening to this podcast. Oh to understand, you know, indigenous people and what anti-racism and, you know, white supremacy, settler colonialism is. Yeah. And let that be your friggin' September 30th training. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you <Right>? know? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And like, this is only from my little urban native perspective of my own journey. And something that I've learned is like, and have always been envious of, you know, those that grew up on the reserve and were really connected with their culture and, you know, went fishing with their uncles or auntie, had that big auntie energy and, you know, yeah. I didn't have that. So yeah. I was always envious of it. But again, being, you know, more open and understanding to everything, I've really come to love and accept my own journey yeah. and that my journey is, I'm not unique in it. Right. There's so many urban natives yes. that are also out in the sea, city wandering around looking for connection. Yes. And, and I know some of those folks who were on reserve actually never got culture on reserve That's yeah. as well. So they're still dealing with the trauma from their reserve 100%. and left their reserve, just tried to figure it out of the work that we've been doing yeah. of anti-racism work and that internalized racism. Right. It's not always greener on the other side. No, no. So, <laughs> and that's something I'm learning now. Sure. So, sure. Yeah. Thanks for being on my show. Thank I you for having it. me. Yeah. I've really enjoyed it. Oh, good. Well, I'm going to do my exit and you're welcome to chime in as you hear what I have to say because it's just more fun. And again, sometimes <laughs> when other people say it, maybe it connects in a better way, you know? So, um, so because it's the 27th, that means that the 31st is overdose day. So look for a, something in your world that might be an event that you could attend or at least honor it that day. Um, also, we'll also be having pride. So I really want to uh, wish everybody a happy pride in Calgary. And they just announced all the marshals. Oh my goodness, perfect, perfect choices, including Adora Newfer, who I've been telling you all on this podcast, she is being uh, targeted by the justice community. So if you can donate to her, please do. Um, anyway, I also had a great book club that just went up uh, this week. And our next one is September 30th, 6.30. Now, this is open to anyone. So if you're listening in Ontario, if you can be at 6.30 p.m. Mountain Time, you're welcome to be in our book club. This is for anybody. Uh, we're going to have a look at the Alberta government's uh, 113 Pathways to Justice. So they t looked at the national inquiry and decided, oh, we just can't possibly listen to 231 calls to justice. I'm just kidding. They had a look at those calls to justice and thought, okay, here's our provincial lens on it. And this is a report that came out as a result. So anyone's welcome to join us for that. Uh, just let me know and I'll give you our Zoom link. Um, for October 9th, we're having Cree lawyer Harold Johnston's book, Peace and Good Order, The Case for Indigenous Justice. Uh, November 13th, a uh, report to guide the implementation of the National Action Plan on Violence Against Women and Gender-Based Violence because, you know, non-Indigenous people, non people just cannot seem to wrap their head around the 231 calls to justice would help everybody. So this is like the whitewash version of it. Uh, December 11th. Making Space for Indigenous Feminism, edited by Joyce Green. And of course, we have the Reconciliation Action Group right now. They just launched today um, a new, we're calling it a waffle. <laughs> so if you're interested, follow them. Um, and Reclaim Awaton, always accepting donations from them. Uh, really encourage people to check more into that if you don't know what I'm talking about please be joining a reconciliation committee somewhere in your world. Your business should have one. Your school should have one. Every single aspect of life should have a reconciliation committee and allowing Indigenous voices, not silencing them when they say, hey, can we touch or talk about your land acknowledgement? <laughs> anyway, I'm proud that this podcast has given solutions and included 
cultural safety training, cultural first aid, and all of them to create a safer space for Indigenous people, people of color, those with disabilities, 2SLGBTQ plus to speak. Thank you, authors Cheryl Ward, Chelsea Branch, and Alicia Fritkin of heretohelp.bc.ca. They have a great section on what is Indigenous cultural safety and why I should care about it. Their work are cultural action tools, so please support Indigenous work like that as part of your reconciliation work and settler understandings. I'm just lucky enough to repeat and highlight them here. Internalized racism or lateral violence. I think we just did a great episode on that, but it's another form of violence Indigenous and marginalized uh, people experience by the structure of oppression on these lands. If you go to racialequitytools.org, there's tons of resource files, including a ton of stuff about internalized racism by Donna Bevins. So please donate to her if you learn something from that. I think every person should have to read all of this, frankly. Uh, do's and don'ts for bystander intervention by American Friends Service Committee. Uh, so AFSC.org, they have some great information there. Anyone who follows me on any of my social media should watch Anti-Racism Organizational Lead for the City of Calgary, give an internal ARAC committee presentation on the journey of becoming an anti-racism leader. It's on YouTube and I've shared it multiple times. Uh, both Taylor McNally and Adora Nufor are being legally targeted. They're, they have some GoFundMes. I encourage people to please donate to them. And congratulations, Adora, for being one of our marshals. Um, Indigenous have been sharing and talking about our issues, sharing traumas and reports, commissions and public hearings, just so it can be regularly disregarded. No more. Honor our words. Honor the treaties. Listen to politicians and their policies and platforms. If they don't recognize the marginalized in their budget with Gender Equity Plus, if they are cutting violence prevention programs and services, Indigenous education, uterus health choices, gay straight alliances, lack of rights for migrants, immigrants, folks with disabilities, know that your vote to that party directly negatively impacts oppressed people. Demand that they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission's calls to action, the recommendations of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples, the multiple reports about child welfare reform and violence prevention, and now 231 calls to justice from the National Inquiry. Again, the 113 pathways to justice, so all you blue voters should be holding your blue MLAs to account for it. Also, follow the Premier's Council and see what work she's doing. Municipally here in the city of Calgary, we have the White Goose Flying Report. Denying any of these reports is a form of abuse called gaslighting. Our people are experiencing extreme racism in every institution with multiple reports that say the same thing. Demand change from election platforms and politicians. If they don't understand colonialism, racism, privilege, and sexism, they literally have zero business running. This should be understood by all parties, um, local politicians, community organizations, sports clubs, etc. Article or uh, Google articles on uh, how non-Indigenous can become allies because now there's oodles of them. Stephanie Harp and I had an emergency podcast at Christmas in the hopes to reach our allies. Uh, if you can read this wonderful statement on homelessness uh, at womenshomelessness.ca, it's demand urgent action to protect the lives of Indigenous women, girls, two-spirit, and gender-diverse Indigenous peoples experiencing homelessness. And um, yeah, I have a lot to say about that too. I'm going to do a whole TikTok after we're done. <laughs> you can also sign up at aboriginalalert.ca. Um, you can also download the Missing Children Society of Canada app. Uh, we have an opioid issue, uh, a drug crisis. Um, if you know anyone using them, please don't use alone. If you are losing, using a loan, you can contact the National Overdose Response Service at 888-688-NORS for support. You, there's also three different apps, Brave, Doors, and Lifeguard, so that you can some try to mitigate this, create a safe plan while using the best you can. Know that you matter and know that every person in Alberta can get a naloxone kit at any pharmacy to give freely to anybody who might want them. If you're experiencing emotional distress after anything we talked about today and need to talk, you can call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness Helpline at 855-242-3310. 
It's open uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And you can also go to hopeforwellness.ca where they have a little text box. Um, if more related to missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit, you can go to 844-413-6649. And here in Alberta, we also have a 60 Scoops Indigenous Society of Alberta. Uh, the Indian Residential School Survivor and Family Hotline is 866-925-4419. And the Native Youth Crisis Hotline is 877-209-1266. If you are non-Indigenous, there are usually distress center lines in your area and a functioning 211. Or you can call 833-456-4566 or text at 45645. If you go to crisisservicescanada.ca, you'll even find more stuff. Kids Help Phone 1-800-668-6868. The following are two SLGBTQ crisis supports available in most areas of Canada. You can go to lifevoice.ca. The Trans Lifeline is 877-330-6366. Thank you, Trevor Project. And for youth, six, er, sorry, 866-844-7386. Violence is my everyday reality. Every Indigenous generation's faced it. This is self-care, how I take my power back. This is why I started my podcast, to speak freely without interruption, tone police, without leadership shaming, gaslighting questions, as many people don't want to hear Indigenous opinions, but sure like to tell us theirs, even if they know nothing about us, colonialism, and constant surveillance of our people, protests, vigils, and our rights. I and many others share info on microaggressions daily, so it's unacceptable to say them anymore. Learn about being trauma-informed. Folks like me, oh, and I think we talked a lot about that today, be about being trauma-informed when you look at the people who had hurt the hurt people. Uh, folks like me are dealing with internalized racism and gatekeeping, people who survive off the status quo. I should put pretend Indians in there too, <laughs> hey? Uh, <Maybe. laughs> yeah, to stop people from doing the work and deplete the resources. Um, internal and external racism is an everyday reality for me. Indigenous peoples, folks with disabilities, QT, BIPOC, and more. Masi Cho to my ancestors, to my granny, to my mom of what strength looks like through your example. I want to thank my dad for teaching me to be strong and blunt, my stepmom for showing me a proud culture through her Austrian family and roots and teaching me to be a proud Calgarian. It is through her I am a second generation proud Calgarian. Thank you to my husband Darcy for editing, producing the show, but on top of that, being the father of my child, my husband, and my support down the journey of the Red Road, witnessing decades of sexism and racism. And my child, Thunderpipe Necklace Woman, we are blessed to learn from you daily. We are honored you chose us. You give me daily accountability to be a better and stronger person. I hope my daughter and my family will be proud in the future of us trying to pr discuss these present day issues the way that they all understand down the road. My native, or my, uh, my Patreon is called Native Calgarian where you can pledge and support. Thank you previous donors for showing your support. If you value listening or watching and can afford to give, thank you, especially if you learn something, it should be great. For those who cannot afford to give, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com where you can send in your comments or questions. I also have a YouTube channel where you can go and subscribe. Go to nativecalgarian.com for the latest podcasts and pin posts on social media. On January 4th, I put out there a big wish to go to Ottawa on May 4th, and I was able to go do that. Now we get to watch to see what kind of justice reform really happens. <laughs> and I want to give, I want to end with side eye to those Calgary rabbits. You're lucky I'm not tradish, or my beautiful cousin would respond, are you be in my dish? And because we have all the Northwest uh, Territory evacuees, not just in Calgary, but all across Alberta, I want to give you a special shout out. I want to say thank you to Marlene Portra and the folks at Bent Arrow for that wonderful drum and round dance and the stew. I seen everybody brought Bannock and I loved all of it. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. That was my daughter's first round dance with her people so then you were a part of that so i cannot thank you enough for that and uh i think we should be doing a hair count here in calgary because i know my people are here anyway thanks for listening